Listen up, nerds. We're doing pen and paper stuff. The Paladins of Podcast are back. Are back. And rolling the dice on new content, upgrades to nothing, and a few missing pages from the rule books. Introducing Joshua Johnson, the man behind. Wait, where did those notes go? Follow Rob and Josh as they navigate the outer planes and anywhere in between on the Epic Table Games Audio Show. Welcome back to the Paladins of the Podcast. Once again, here with Rob, I, the talented Josh, will <laughs> once again lead the audio show to valiant victory. <laughs> Rob, how are you doing today? Oh, dear God, I'm better now. How are you doing, Josh? I'm doing very good. Finally got over being sick. Uh, ran the Konosuba RPG. That went pretty well. Uh, comedy style game. Very entertaining for the players. Might yeah. actually consider running a mini campaign. That'd be kind of fun. Yeah. I know that we talked about that. Uh, I think it was last week, wasn't it? Yeah, I brought it up briefly. Um, I thought the game would be harder to run, uh, but definitely it's a different approach in style. It, it literally wants you to run it like a TV show. Okay. So it doesn't matter. You can have weeks or days within a single session. Yeah. And it's really, really goofy and wants you to be over the top. See, that's funny that you mention it because I like going through, no matter what game it is, sometimes making it through weeks and days at a session at a time. Um, it's It can get kind of difficult, though, because when you're looking at a game like D&D, people think about downtime activities. Yeah, that's me. I'm definitely a little too sucked into that. So yeah, it's, that's all right. It's not a big deal. Um, I know that we had a few things that we wanted to talk about today. I left last week at a cliffhanger, um, and we're going we're gonna to get to that, um, which is really, really funny, by the way. Uh, anyhow, before we get there, I wanted to touch up a little bit on what we talked about last week with inspiration. Yeah. Because I watched Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. When did you watch it? Uh, last weekend. Oh, okay. In fact... Funny enough, I tried to watch it Saturday. My kids refused to shut up, so I had to watch it later. I tried to watch it Sunday, and my wife says, but I thought we were going to watch it together. No. So we restarted it. <laughs> and then the kids got loud again. I'm like, why am I even trying? So Monday, actually finished the stupid movie. I'm so sorry you had to experience it that way. That's real rough. It is rough. It is rough. But anyhow, we talked about inspiration. Yeah. And it's funny because there's a scene in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness where it features a desolate mountain and some form of uh, fortified structure, essentially. Okay. And I don't remember if it's mentioned in the trailer or not, so I don't want to give too much away here. But If to- you're speaking about what I think you are, you do see it for a, for a brief moment in the trailer, so I don't think you're necessarily spoiling anything. Alright. Does it... I don't remember if it shows the characters who are there. You see the scenery, and you see from the back the characters that are there. You, To be honest, I don't really think you can spoil trailer stuff, because Marvel has actually edited their trailers many times in the last four years to... Oh, yeah. yeah, to hide stuff. Okay. So... Um, <clears throat> The Scarlet Witch and um, Wong are here at this facility, structure. Mm -hmm. And she states that it's not uh, more of like a prison or a um, location that they thought it was used for, but it's a throne room. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know what? Visually describing this would be fantastic. Because you look at a desolate mountaintop and there is a throne room at the top of the peak surrounded by the... Um, the clouds of the altitude, um, the columns and pillars are destroyed, crumbled on the ground, dust covers everything. In the middle of the room, a large table cracked full of runes. And it's a visually striking scene that you can break down into a fantastic descriptor. Yeah, I, uh, I totally agree with that. Uh, along with that, to further enhance the scene, uh, which I do very clearly actually know what you're referring to, um, I would definitely add other sensory enhancers, either other descriptors. I would say from the way the scene projects, it's actually a little hard to tell sometimes what feeling they're going for, but as a DM, you can absolutely go wild. Try adding smell into a scenery description. You will yeah. get your players into it. Yeah. Um, I've done that where usually demons smell of fire or brimstone, yep. the smell of ash. Um, that's really popular. Sulfur. Um, things where uh, you kind of think about... I think scent is really good. You're right. Because when you mention things like the smell of honeysuckle, 
drifting through the woods. Like, you know it's generally a pleasant springtime smell. Um, I also like using sound because it's most people, you know, you're walking through a forest and you notice you hear none of the typical woodland creatures, yeah. sounds, or insects. They're like, why is it so quiet? Yeah. So I think, I think it's actually a little bit of a double-edged sword, though. Because while they don't think about these things typically, if you call certain things out, now they're on alert to them. Uh, yes, you are so, correct. <laughs> so it is a balancing act here. But I like it. And it's it just got me thinking because as we thought about and talked about that inspiration, I'm like, man, one of my biggest cues is generally not just story elements, but visual elements as well, things that I can describe visually. Um, and truthfully, when you're visually des- when you're describing something visually with only words, you can really be describing absolutely anything. Yeah, it's it's kind of hard for me to do those descriptors. Um, I can't remember what they're called right now, but basically that passage of text that mm-hmm. is like, oh, this is like what you're experiencing, whatever that is. I kind of struggle with that. So I have a couple ways to overcome it myself. I have, I have a printer with color. I will actually print out a piece of scenery and attach it to my DM screen in front of them. So it's like, now they think they're in a different scene. It's kind of my way of compensating for it. Oh, that's fine. It works. I've done very similar things. I mean, I think at some point every dungeon master will actually say something along the lines of, well, here's the bestiary and you're fighting something that looks like, resembles like, or is this. Um, at some point, we all kind of just, <laughs> it gives them the, the reference. <laughs> you're reminding me of every time I approach a game tired and don't think about it. <laughs> you attack with your sword, you swing and you hit. <laughs> that's when I'm tired. <laughs> That's, that's fine. I think that also laments another thing is that um, something we should consider talking about either this episode or in another future episode is play styles. Ooh, yes, yes. That would, that would be a wonderful topic. But we should. What, what, do you, what do you think about it right now? So if we want to dive into this right now. Um, so I love the idea of in-depth play styles. Like characters who don't, players who don't break character are always fun. Uh, I like people who are super descriptive but I don't find it necessary. Oh, you're talking about like the high level immersion, like role play combo. Some, sometimes. Yeah, I think it certain certain, you have to like be in very specific situations, but when you have a table that are all on the same page, those games are like eight, nine, 10, very consistently. Yeah. Like, for, for an example, when you have a table of six or seven, that's really hard to get that many players at once, and then they all need time and stuff. It's really hard to dedicate to, but you've said that in the past you roll, you run um, a play-by-post. Mm-hmm. Those, very consistently, you'll get a lot of players who will immerse and yeah. lean into it, because that is the perfect amount of time. It is, yeah. and I have noticed that. that when, we did our, when Epic Table did their play-by-post system... Um, a lot of players would be really in-depth and hardcore into it. Some of them were like, I don't know how to write. I can't write very well. So they would get very basic, I roll to attack, or I, I jump, I hit, etc. Um, but at the table, they'd be all in. Yeah. There's, there's a healthy balance, and I've noticed a lot of times, and it seems like it comes in waves. Um, newer DMs, experienced DMs, all these groups that I'm a part of, comes in waves they're like they talk about i overpowered my party and then all of a sudden it's like how do i manage to do this like balance um monster encounters and then we come back to a wave of how do i get my players to engage more and then we come back into something else and it just cycles through every month i got like four or five topics that's all we ever talk about oh so you mean like dm being depreciating of how they handle a thing Versus finally doing better at it, but there's never something that just, it just never stays good. Well, it's, it's a symptom, I think, but what I'm really, I guess I'm, my mind is focused. My words are not as focused as I am, and I, I hate to do that. I hate to sound so tired, too. Um, I don't think I'm getting sick. It's just I feel like I got something caught in my throat, so mm. <laughs> I'm sorry if my volume levels are weird. Um, <clears throat> no, so you know how you have the one player who will be like, all right, I'm roll i attack end of story five damage Uh, that's where i fight the urge in my body to like yes i will like try to coax players into a little more role play than that but when someone's in that state like they're not either doing well or they're just not that interested i will at least can like take that into consideration if they're not invested did i do something wrong are they not in the mood to play now don't let it tear you apart 
But take note, if your player doesn't seem to be having a good time, maybe get that figured out. <laughs> now, that's it's funny that you mention that because that's how a lot of people feel. <clears throat> but I've been doing this for a long time and sometimes that player, that is exactly how invested that player wants to be. Yeah, that's, you're, you're true. They, you're, you're very right about that. They're having a good time doing what they do. Like, I had a player once who would uh, come to game, fall asleep, which sucked, but mm -hmm. whatever. And uh, he would only wake up on his turn in combat. <laughs> and he would usually wreck shit, and he'd be back asleep again. He, very, he actually could very likely have ADHD. I have that. Um, I find that when I get a, even slightly bored, my brain's like, okay, time to shut off. I will actually have to stand up. For a bit, get my blood flowing again, and then I'm good. <clears throat> he didn't have ADHD. He worked a lot, but... <laughs> Ooh, so he was just full burnout. Uh, yeah, he was burnt out. He wanted to be at the table. He wanted to play, That's but... That's right, though. He, he could only invest so much energy. I don't know. Is that a beautiful thing that he burns out and makes it that he shows up, or... Truthfully, I've been doing it long enough where burnout, I still show up. I don't sleep, though, but... <laughs> well, we're DMs, so for us, that's inevitable. Right. Um, but as, I'll, I'll talk about this player for a minute because he was great. He, I remember one game he was playing a, uh, I think this was 3-5, he was playing a sorcerer or a hexblade. And his character was the same level we all were, but he was built efficiently enough and optimized enough where his damage output per round was enough to justify him only being needed for a round or two. So... Literally, when he woke up, it was, I'm going to save your asses and <laughs> cash out. Hmm. I, I can't I can't even, like, I haven't dealt with that, so I don't even know how to, like, perceive that, because that just seems jarring, but, I mean, if it works, it works. It's, it's not something you have to get upset with, so right. good advice for DMs. <clears throat> Whether your players invest, are awake or asleep, are late, or whatever, like... You have a little trust and faith. Yeah, it's it's. I think it's absolutely fair to be like, "Hey, you okay? You know, is everything all right?" Yeah. Um, but if they're like, "Yeah, I'm good," and you know, then they're probably invested as much as they want to be. Yeah. From a lot of newer DM standpoints, they want the characters who are like, "I pull my great axe from my belt and I charge into battle with it over my head, roaring the furiosity of whatever god I'm deciding to worship today as I jump into the air and swing down with all the might possible." That's fun. I understand that people want to see that. You're embarrassing all the theater <laughs> kids right now. Stop it. I was a theater kid. <laughs> but um, you, you look at that, and you epically describe it, and you roll your die, and you miss, or you do minimum damage. Awkward. Uh, awkward, yeah. So most of the time, I'm like, you know, I'll just run up and swing it. I'm just going to charge it with my sword. You know, <laughs> screw it. I'm, I rolled a hit. Yeah. I don't even say that anymore. If I'm a player, I'm like, yo, 13, hit the AC. Yeah, I'm like... I do this much damage. Yeah, just to bring up a negative example that was very clear to me early, but I was I was literally new to DMing, so I didn't know how to handle it. Uh, player was playing a rogue. I believe they were playing the assassin archetype, which is in five E is focused on like that first hit in combat. It, it's like an auto crit. But more importantly, I didn't understand how to like put more flourish in the game and stuff. So basically, for them, it was they take their turn, they roll to attack, and that's it. Mm -hmm. In reality, rogues are actually one of the more engaging character classes because they gain bonus action stuff a lot faster than the other classes. Mm -hmm. So you're mixing it up a whole lot. And because I wasn't familiar with that aspect of the game, they just got bored all the time and just they were they just weren't having a great time, and I didn't know what to do about it. And see, that's, that's another caveat. That's where you got to learn more about the game. Yeah. Uh, you have to be able to manage it. And there's a lot for the DMs to really learn. And there's a lot for the players to learn. Um, it's funny because I will tell you, for as long as I have played Pathfinder or 3.5 or any of the other games, there are still things that I not only have to continuously look up, whether they're constantly used, or things that just come up in a way that I haven't seen for a while or don't know about. I mean, these are, these are rule books, and we're looking at 400-plus pages a lot of times of rules that you have to memorize or know. Some people can do it. I've got a friend who actually has every player's handbook that he needs memorized as a player and a DM. Well, that must be super fucky for him in the head. Uh, he can compartmentalize well enough where it's not too jarring. It's easier when games are really separated. Okay. Um, but, like... For example, Pathfinder was essentially D&D uh, 3.75, and that's what the community base really looks at it as. Yep. 
the changes in the rules were light enough to make it semi-confusing at first, but when he switched over all the way, I mean, he now barely remembers most of 3.5, but knows that it's almost backwards compatible with Pathfinder. Um, it can get trippy, but yeah, after a while, you expect to know some of these rules, you know, like cover, total cover, squeeze. You know, I don't even, in fact, I don't even know if squeeze is still a thing in 5e. <laughs> um, it just kind of depends because that, like, people talk about stuff like flat-footed, and some of those terms transfer, some don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, because 5e is so streamlined, um, I would say I would say the majority of of 3.5's terms do apply, but are just watered down and combined. So, say you have three terms for for a certain maneuver or feat that's in 3.5. It does exist in fifth edition. It's just all three of them have been like half splattered into it. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of an awkward half what you want. <clears throat> and see, we came across that when I joined your game. I think I was trying to figure out because your combat in 5e is essentially broken down into um, X amount of actions you can take. Like you can have a, a dodge action or an attack action. Um, it's like it's basically when you take your action there's like a flurry of different things you can do it's it's strange because it's a decent amount but you'll find that most people do not use the majority of them whether they're useful or not it like even when it comes to dodging dodging all it does is all attacks against you have disadvantage until your next turn mm-hmm. it's a super great defensive technique um if your character with high ac it's fantastic but you will find that most players do not dodge unless they have literally nothing else to do. Mm-hmm. They will even like sacrificially do still do attacks that will then following they'll get knocked down because they refuse to dodge. Mm-hmm. It's just the other options other than attack just don't come off as engaging to them. Right, and that I, and that I'm used to um, looking at older editions because like you said, some of them cross over. Um, when we get to rounds in combat, you have a Essentially, a full round action, a standard action, a free action, an immediate action. <laughs> yeah, see, I can tell by the name of the terms. Yes, 5th edition kind of has those, but they're not, they're for sure not the same. They're like half follows, I guarantee yeah. you. Yeah, and that's, that's one of those things. So you know how when you gain levels and your base attack bonus goes up, you get more attacks? Uh, barely. Almost not at all. all right. Rogues literally have one attack. For the entire class. <laughs> so in older editions, I'll use fighter because fighters were friggin' ridiculous. By level 20, you have five attacks. So you oh take a gosh. full round action. Now, a full round action means you don't move. You literally are standing there and duking it out. Mm-hmm. Um, at least in the fighter aspect. As you get to other classes, sometimes you're standing there and duking it out. In my air quotes, you guys can't see. Uh, sometimes there's distance. But a full round action, you can use nothing but that round to do that one thing. So mm-hmm. for a fighter, if you say full round attack action, you get all five of your attacks at the appropriate base attack bonuses and all your general bonuses. <clears throat> so five friggin' attacks. Actually, it might be set. No, it's five because once you hit sixth level, you get your second. Yeah, five. by 20, you're five attacks in. As an interesting point to that, now, if, if I'm wrong about this, I, it's okay to murder me, but assuming I'm not wrong about this, I believe in second edition of Pathfinder, if you continuously do attacks like that, I believe you receive debuffs. Like you, like I believe you get a subset of three actions, and instead of having like major action, minor action, and movement mm-hmm. like you do in a lot, you just have three actions. So you could spend one moving, one as your quote-unquote bonus, and the other one as a major, but you can also do major, 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 which is all attacks. And I believe if you do that, you actually start receiving like huge debuffs for your to hit. I don't remember. I actually believe that's how it works, which is an interesting point, but also like weird because they're just telling you it's the same thing. It just makes you feel bad. Mm-hmm. Like, why would you just attack the third time if it's just going to miss almost guaranteed? Right. That's like not fun. I'd rather fake movement or not have the movement instead of having a, a garbage attack that makes me feel bad. <laughs> I would rather have the chance to hit, even if it means I've got a greater, greater chance of missing. It's because you're an animal, Rob. And I, you like missing. You actually prefer that. Just I, say it. I do not. I hate missing, but I like saving the day. I like getting the last hit. That's yeah, the, that's like the important one. you kept one. missing that chimera? Yeah. Yeah. That's what we're going to... Yep. 
Okay. <laughs> Bring that up. That's a sore spot. <laughs> it's, it was a sore spot until you randomly killed it at the end. Yeah. You missed it like four or five times. and <clears throat> Every then Every time. And then everyone else is wailing on it. It's going great, except you're awkward missing it. And then just you get the killing blow, and everyone just is like, fuck you, Rob. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how it generally goes, though. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I like the idea of players who want to be balls deep into um, describing everything. It takes a lot of time. For a DM's aspect, we all think, hey, that'd be really cool. But I'd say, as a point of advice, don't fret. Most players are as invested as they want to be. Yeah. Also, like in the same, in almost the same words, like don't don't fetishize it. Don't yeah. don't fetishize like weird deep immersion that player. Most players don't honestly want to engage at that level. It's just mm-hmm. a, it's like a it's like a flavor of drink. Once in a while, the drink is strange, but it kind of tastes good. But for a lot of people, it's only good once in a while, not all the time. You're talking about tang. Uh, and to continue on I I don't want to beat a dead horse here but I just realized too that uh, we've mentioned I I mentioned the combat aspect like people want to describe what they do in combat and I look at my role playing style as combat light and situationally role play heavy and I say that because I will shorten combat down to I roll to attack I do this much damage for ease it keeps rounds moving quick but in social combats and situations, sometimes I'm in character as character, and sometimes I'm in character as third person. I, I did notice that. Um, as an interesting point, when when you run the game, is that the way that you prefer, like, is that the way you would like to play if you were the one in that game? Like, do you run the game in such a way that that's the way you like it? I feel like I should understand your question a little better. Okay, okay. Let me define it better. Let's say we are early on in a campaign. Mm-hmm. The players are interested in the survival aspect. They want every single overnight to be tracked. They want you to. They want there to be a chance of encounters every night. But you, as the DM, even with a, an agreement that like that stuff can happen, you more fast forward because you feel like that's not worth its time. Or at least not to the degree that they might want it. Okay, so this is where <clears throat> this is where I would stand on this type of scenario. If they want it, I will painstakingly go through it. I'm not going to track it, though. I mean, like, you want to track every night. You want to keep, like, hardcore notes. You do you. Okay. I'm going to provide what you're looking for. Um, and I will end up finding a compromise at some point. Like, we're not going to, uh, hey, there's, there's rest for eight hours overnight. That means there's eight chances for encounter no i generally break it up into three chances per encounter people like to do three watches at night you know early mid late watch okay not a big deal each one of you has a chance for an encounter that's generally how i roll and when i roll that i'm like you know what we're gonna throw down um percentiles and everybody has a 50 percent chance it's a yes or no at this point okay um do i have players that like a lot of combat yes and I still make them sit through a lot of no combat. And I do that literally to wear them out sometimes. Okay. I so that that does that's where <laughs> I feel like the example is like strong enough. So when you run a game, are you running a game more in the vein of style that you would like to engage with? Or are you running a game that you hope the players engage with? Because I've sometimes mm, seen okay. the style conflict with itself. Okay. So when I run a game... I have a very clear defined line in the sand. I am not running a game for me to play. I'm mm-hmm. running a game for my players to play. Okay. But they are in my world. So that is that is the biggest caveat there. I think that's pretty well put. <clears throat> um, my world is designed in a way that it is set up I would like to play in this world. Like, there are things out of my head, like, damn, I think this is awesome. I would love to adventure in this setting. I'd love to explore this setting. And me developing the world is my way of being able to do that. The player's actions are the consequential issues that I have because I don't want to write a book. I want to tell a story with them. Absolutely. Um, So sometimes they're going to go off the rails completely. I'm like, well, I have... I, mean, I really wish you wouldn't have done that, but this seems like the logical response here. And now I no longer have a static world for them to play in. I now have a breathing world that is developing based on my players. Yeah, um, I, I think that's actually a really good approach because the upsides of you doing that, 
a lot of DMs can suffer from burnout. Mm -hmm. One major way to avoid burnout is you need to run something that you can enjoy. Absolutely agree. So when you when you sit down from the players and go, hey, this is the world we're going to play in. As long as your players are okay with it, please, you need to be the most invested in your world. Even if the players don't fully engage with it. Let's say there's politics. Politics is a big one that players don't really engage with. Even if you want to write the politics for yourself, do it. You'll stay invested in the world, and when mm -hmm. the players touch into it, you'll just be super excited for it. When I was doing the play-by-post game, dude, I swear, I wish I still had... I might even have a screenshot of it somewhere. But there was a scene where, A, my players started... Um, they were all captured independently, and they were put in a desert prison, desert sand prison which essentially they got buried up to their necks. Like, that's prison. And wow. they get forgotten about Holy that. shit. Um, <laughs> that's cool. So uh, with decent enough strength checks, they were able to get themselves out. They realized that they weren't actually put in there to die because it was too easy for them to get out. Um, not a big deal. Now, the thing about the world in this prison, for example, is they could just walk out. Like, hey, if you got out of the sand prison where you're not supposed to be able to get out of, I guess your sentence is over. Like, you know what? People don't escape. So if you escape, you deserve to be out. Hmm. Um, that's how the guards looked at it. They walked right out. No big deal. They're like, oh, um, well, congratulations, guys. Go for you. Interesting. And I have, well... There's, I can actually, out, outside of the podcast, uh, I'll talk to you a little bit more about it. And if you want to talk about this world in particular in the podcast, I will, we'll talk, we'll deep dive into the world building I did. I will ask you about the whole <laughs> prison thing, because I don't like the guard part, but I love the prison part. I will explain every bit of it and why the guards were like that to you. Um, okay. we should, oh, we should definitely have an episode going over our world building, though, for our own worlds. Yeah, because I think earlier last season we had uh, kind of how to build worlds, but we never talked about... Uh, our worlds that we build. So we kind of talk about the processes, but never the, the pieces that we've included. Uh, anyhow, in this play-by-post that we did, uh, after they got out, what they found is that they were potentially going to be scapegoats for other crimes. So now they, they, were, uh, they yes. were hunted and wanted for a prison break, but when they seen the wanted posters for the crime that they committed, again, air quotes, uh, the wanted posters did not feature pictures of them. So, so get this. This is how the story was working out. They were used to create a real event to falsely imprison and capture other members of an opposing political party. <clears throat> so everybody knew that the prison break happened. And because the Empire controlled the media, essentially, the wanted posters featured the people they actually wanted to hang and kill. So, to be clear, the players were the scapegoats, but not the actual focus. Like, they were put into that role, but their identities were just, were the thing being used. And then... The, their actions were the oh, things being so used. Their wow. identities were inconsequential. It didn't matter who they were. Right, right. No, it's literally just, they are a tool. Mm -hmm. they, they're not even involved. That's super crazy. Well, other than what had happened. That's, well, that's actually really interesting. I like that. Well, it, it gets a little deeper here, too. Because they didn't know that the wanted posters were for somebody else until they'd seen them, which actually took a long process. News of a prison break has to spread. So it took two or three sessions of them feeling like they're on the run. Constantly on the lam. Uh, hiding and sneaking around, trying not to be noticed and seen. Um trying to figure out the climate of the area that they were in. When they finally get it, they're like, what the hell's going on? And they got it when they seen the wanted posters and there was actually a public hanging of the figures that they seen on the wanted posters. And this is where I'm finally getting to the play-by-post that I wish I could share with you because A, it was like a mile long. But in it, and this is where the play-by-post allows you to do things that you cannot do at the table. There was a narrative monologue from the individual conducting the hanging, like the execution uh, speech. Yeah. There was the chanting and singing included in the post uh, for like the choir that was there to give the death song. And everything was broken up like words. And I could always go back to where the music 
The chanting would just drone on until it became a humming noise and the murmur of the crowd as it gathered and continued to pack into the square. As you continue to look at the clergyman who is talking about how life and death is really only valid for both heroes and commoner folks, but those who are engaging in nefarious activities are meant to die and actually be cast out of society and out of the gates of heaven and into the depths of hell. Um, and I could constantly refocus, reshift, and keep playing back into it. But that's the form of story narrative. That's super great because I'm imagining attempting to do that and it not working. Mm -hmm. Because when you do that, when you try to go on that, if you don't keep it small, players will interject nonstop yes. because they 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 want to either know more than that you might even explain down the road. They either want to know something suddenly because they think the situation might be urgent or they want to step in. And in reality, it's kind of a cutscene. Uh, and in really in any TTRPG, it's there's a lot of power in the hands of the players to intercept instead of letting the scene play out, as I'll call it. Really, it's letting you finish your dialogue. Yeah. So... Yeah, no, I, I never actually considered that. That's actually like a massive benefit because you can get through really cool parts. The players can fully take in the situation and then address it, which mm -hmm. that's way better than, than trying to do that at the table with a bunch of people. Right, and if you do it at the table, you do have to set that precedent. You have to let them know kind of what's going on first. Um, I think one of the coolest things about it is the fact that uh, dialogue, like if you overhear dialogue as a player, at the table, you get the general idea of what the dialogue is about. You get to hear, well, the king and his guard are having a private conversation about how there's something going on in the east end of the village. And you're like, oh, well, we'll go check out the east end of the village. Okay. But in this play-by-post format, you could actually write out the conversation that they're having. And I like that because you can't. Always, I mean, how do you how do you have a conversation between two NPCs that your oh, players yeah, it's, are it's overhearing? Terrible. It's, it's it's just terrible when you try to like. I can't even do it at the table. Like I will give maybe a one phrase sentence yep. between them if I even do it at all. It's mm -hmm. because it's it's awkward. It's jarring. Players can even get confused. I just yep. don't do it. Right. I've I've tried things like uh, recording a conversation. With yep, I've imagined that one before. With multiple voices, like ah, you guys are at this point. Boop, hit play, and that sucks. <laughs> oh god, we got to listen to this shit. Well, it's also like <laughs> that's more pre-preparing. That's also more you trying not to screw up. You have to have that technology with you. Even even if you do, even if everything works out, think about it as a player aspect. You're like, oh man, he's busting out the audio recorder. And you're, you're just sitting there listening. See the player, kind of the theater kid sitting there, his yeah. fake toy sword on his shoulder. Right. I could make the scene so cool if I was able to fucking leap into oh, action. God. God, yes. But yeah, so there's uh, there's that. It's, it's a balancing act. There is so much that provides for the play-by-post system. But remember, the play-by-post system died out because it's technically 24-7. You constantly have to be checking it you have to be invested in it in a way that is more than just at the table. And then on top of that, uh, in the play-by-post system, excuse me, you also have to really look at it and say, I want to take the time to think, articulate, and write this out. Um, commenting on the popularity of play-by-post, um, I'm actually not sure if it's died out. I can't quite mm. tell because, what? Not play-by-post in general. Epic Tables play-by-post. Oh, yes. <laughs> so, I mean, there's still a place for it. In fact, uh, MythWeavers.com, based in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Mm. All play-by-post systems. Oh, okay. Actually have, which I want to check out, they have a convention coming up this year. I want to go to. <laughs> hmm. I, I, for the love of God. Speaking of conventions, oh shit. Oh, right, 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 we, right. I cannot believe that we are A, so far into this episode, so far into season two on top of it, and still haven't mentioned this. Yeah, so Gen Con is coming. Yes, it is. So that'll be August 5th through, or August 5th through 7th. That's when we're going to be there. Uh, by weird, not me, sadly. Oh, dude, I know it sucks. So I checked my schedule, my capitalist workplace decided to be a piece of shit not let me have it off it of is course. it is what it is um but i'll be there and i'm gonna be there with our special content creator 
Mike Reynolds, who we call Machio. Um, funny story I don't want to put on the, the podcast. <laughs> it's a funny story that you're betraying me for Mike? I'm not betraying you. It's betrayal. Uh, you just said you were unavailable. I mean, you're betraying us by not calling I could be available work. emotionally. <laughs> just not physically. But, uh, yeah, so Epic Table Games is going to go to Gen Con, and we're not going to go as vendor, but go as news source. Yeah. So we're actually, this is, this is really important. Um, we're going to go as news source to report on a lot of the cool things that we see. Fine. We're going to talk to as many people as we can. Uh, try to get some video up. Try to get some audio clips up. Try to really get some Facebook reels. Um, things so you can really follow along. And the reason I say that the news aspect is important is because as much as Epic Table Games wants to do uh, proprietary content and table... Um, Really, we want to expand what we're doing. That is, it's really it, uh, in, in the biggest nutshell. Because I want to, I want to remain, I want to say non-denominational, but that's not, not really. I want to, I want to be game system independent. <laughs> no, no, no. I like the other one. I non-denominational. Like non-denominational TTRPG commentator. Yeah. Uh, so eventually, we're going to have our own, um, our own published content. And I want content that is available to blend into any system or uh, proprietary content that runs off its own system. But I never want to stop supporting multiple different game developers, game systems, and rule sets. Yeah, I think we definitely need to keep that kind of content flowing. Right now, we're kind of drowning in 5th edition. And if you don't realize that, uh, eventually it'll come back to bite you when you realize that Wizards isn't really putting their best foot forward when it comes to their content. But, like, please go explore. Go explore other systems. Don't be afraid to try new things. Absolutely. Speaking about that, this is crazy. Okay. Earlier, we talked a little bit about Wizards and Hasbro and their corporate culture relationship. I just read that Wizards of the Coast produces 72% of all of Hasbro's revenue. What? Wizards of the Coast produces 72% of all of Hasbro's revenue. I, you're making me sweat because it, that sounds so insanely absurd. But I'm like, I'm trying to put it together in my head because dramatically, how much? One point two billion costs. dollars. Ah! Oh my gosh! But Hasbro has their hand in so much stuff. You're oh. you're right, but most of it's toys, media, and outside of that, Hasbro's name is above. Wizards of the Coast, and there's one other company I don't remember off the top of my head, but that's what we're looking at. We talked about how Wizards of the Coast would be better if they could split off, but looking at how much revenue Hasbro gets, I don't think they would ever allow such a no, thing to happen. No, for sure. Well, that, see, this is the part that I was talking about that makes me nervous. When you tell me that, I start seeing, okay, we already have my, my, not my favorite oversight from Wizards. They, It's not terrible, but then I'm going to see Hasbro starting to dip their hand into the bucket where they're like, it's not magic, it's the spice of life. That was the other one, it was Magic the Gathering, because that's technically a separate entity. Is it? Yep. I thought it was owned by Wizards, is it not? It's technically a separate entity. Alright, sure. <laughs> I, I mean, that's like a huge one. Like, why, why wouldn't Hasbro be involved with Magic? Because it's like a super lucrative business well you think of magic being super lucrative but the fact that remember wizards is magic uh, wizards and dungeons and dragons is 72 percent of their revenue it's still it, it still shocks me because it leads my mindset to believe that either hasbro has been like suffering and this is their way back up or that like D D or at least wizards is like taking off really hard which i can believe mm -hmm. just 72 percent sounds insane Honestly, I think we look at the idea of the Wizards of the Coast revenue as, A, they probably have plenty of autonomy so they can do things as they want to do, yep. which shows that what they are doing based on experienced uh, fan bases, complaints are really off base, or Hasbro is asking them or having them do certain things in order to continue to try to churn out revenue yeah, in a certain way. that is what makes me nervous. I just, because, that, that's literally what I was just talking about. Like, mm -hmm. my concern is that Hasbro's like, oh, okay, we're kind of worldwide, so we don't want to hurt a certain subsect of people, so we don't call it magic anymore. We call it the spice of life. Like, 
I don't think it's going to go that route. But right. I but know what you're saying. It's that idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know what you're saying. Uh, so I'm looking at time, and we got plenty of time left. We had things that we wanted to talk about that we didn't mention. There was a cliffhanger from the other episode that might get pushed off to another episode. I don't remember the cliffhanger. You're losing me on this cliffhanger. You know what? It's funny. I mentioned it, and then I forgot it at the last episode. I wasn't supposed to say that out loud, by the way. But we got notes in there somewhere. It'll hit me again. It'll be like a kick to the teeth, and I'll remember. But you know what you could do to get back to that cliffhanger? Listen to the previous episode of the audio show. Oh, funny story on this, bro. So I edit the episodes. Mm-hmm. I don't listen to the episodes. In fact, I have yet to listen to one episode all the way through. I don't know why you struggle with this so hard. I've listened to upwards of a dozen of episodes of the audio show from before. How do you not make it through them? Okay, so how many actors do you know that watch their own movies? Um, I guess you have a point there, but those people absolutely can't stand listening to their voices or like looking at themselves act. Are you the same way? Generally. Okay. No, that makes sense then. Generally. Not to mention I'm probably sure that I say some pretty stupid shit. Yep. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. <laughs> Thanks for agreeing so readily. <laughs> uh, but yeah, <clears throat> um, it's one of those things. But there's one topic that we wanted to try to touch on today, and it was supposed to be an important topic. It was the first thing on the list, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be the TTRPG style, uh, game styles that we would like to play, whether it's specific or style. I imagine we're more of talking about style. Uh, can we knock that out in about 20 minutes? Oh, pretty easily. So uh, let's go with you first, Rob. Rob Space Marines. <laughs> okay, so we're going to have to define that because the people who play Warhammer just went, yes. Uh, Rob, what do you mean Space Marines? What are you referring to? Uh, kick the door in and blow shit up. Okay, okay. So um, I, that's, I know that's funny. because you. Let's like, take in a few examples because Warhammer is not necessarily that. Yeah, it's very over the top, but that's like that has a lot of like aspects to it that don't necessarily involve that um is there a piece of media that you engage with immediately with that idea uh starship troopers is one of the first things that comes to mind see that that i immediately understand the point of view you have on it so um and it's funny that you mentioned warhammer because looking at it warhammer is a hugely vast miniature tabletop war game yep but did you know that they also have just pen and paper written rules yes it is called the horus heresy that's one of them there are multiples and i was like i don't know why i didn't remember this for a while but i'm like damn i'd love to play warhammer without the goddamn miniatures i was like shit i should jump on the pen and paper world um i've heard those systems can be really fun but they're also pretty gruesome i don't know you would probably you probably would actually like it now i think about it rob you're you're quite the animal when it comes to like Please kill my character, extra kill them, and then when they're in hell, kill them an extra time. It's so, <laughs> I'm not, I don't get to play, but I'm like the, the forever DM, bro. If I get a chance to play, I don't care if you kill my character a million times. I want to be the table playing. If, if I'm heavily watering down the way those Warhammer TTRPGs work, you're basically nonstop playing World War II in the trenches of the game. You never leave the trenches, you're nonstop in the trenches. That'd get kind of boring. Uh, it... It depends because the style that you run with is either your rogue trader where you're traveling and doing a lot of politics or you are like fighting the Tyranids nonstop. It, mm, I it, need a kind it, of a blend. It is blended, but I've heard that it's very hard to DM because DMs like lean hard one way or the other. So you'll run through huge amounts of combat and then you'll run through huge amounts of RP. And I can handle that. I've just heard it's like a very hard style for a lot of DMs to get into. And because it's more of not a heavily played game that you don't have tons of DMs with lots of experience. Mm-hmm. So. It, and that's fair. But Space Marines are the ones that I'd like to really jump onto. And truthfully, the thing is, is I'm a big fan of Tolkien fantasy, Arthurian legend fantasy, um, Norse mythology. Mythology, mythological fantasy is fantastic. But it's old school based in realistic the setting stuff. Like, I want to play in outer space where shit's not known. Monsters, stuff I don't get to do. Laser guns, lightsabers, whatever. I don't care. Uh, for you, uh, what is it? Uh, Starfinder? Sup, like, what is it called? What's the big space one that's really popular that I feel embarrassed not to know the name of? That's an absolutely unfair question, by the way. Because the big popular one, I mean, Starfinder is Pathfinder in space, and that's the one that a lot of people are familiar with. But there are so many better ones out there. Um, for me, the one I have the experience with, and it actually is the Alien RPG. Um, oh, those it, are Space Marines too, bro. They, well, yeah, they are. Um, there are two ways to run that game that the book identifies with. If you go check it out on Free League, 
Um, essentially, you either run it like Alien, which is a horror movie, or you run it like Aliens, which is more of an action movie. Yeah. They want you to really go balls to the wall during both. So during the horror movie one, it's actually totally fine if your character gets butchered. Like, the, the DM is actually, or the game mother is supposed to have other characters prepared for you to play. That's hilarious. It, it, it actually is. Um, one of my players died, and I literally took one of the NPCs. I'm like, you're the NPC now. You have their knowledge. You even have their key card access. Nice. And they're like, what? I can? And I was like, but they're a different person, so you have to now roleplay them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other one, which I haven't really tried out yet, because the combat system's a little rough. A little rough. It is like run and gun, like balls to the wall. They're everywhere, like, and it's hard. It's still hard to survive. It's still super murdery. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a D six system. Sixes are your only successes. It, it's the game system's a little bit hit and miss with people as I've run it. I've run it actually a good chunk of times, and I've had some people who absolutely love it, but the majority of players are a little resistant to it when they first play it. So I like that it's a D six system, and what I'm finding is because it's based on space. It seems like a lot of space games are D6 systems. Yeah. Uh, there are quite a few Star Wars games that are D6 systems. I played a few. Um, kind of Space marine but Star Wars is so advanced in possibilities that you can play just about any style. Smugglers, uh, <clears throat> Space Marines, Mercenaries, Search and Rescue, Find, etc. I just want something kicking the door, blow shit up. Uh, which is also... I could play modern settings if I can do the same thing. Do you, um, just to go over the game system, not in specific detail, are you interested in, like, all the threats that, like, space has to offer? Because, like, the game itself is built around that. So if you're on a ship and you're on one of the outer rooms of the ship, if you blow something up or you shoot and you miss, you potentially hit the outer hull, the room can potentially lock down, blow out the window, and then... I get sucked outside? Yeah, yes. Dude, that would suck so hard, but yeah, I... (laughs) It is the way it is. That I game, like that stuff. That game is very heavy into you essentially role-playing that you're in space on, like, the, the 80s future tech where everything's, 80s like... future. Yeah. Nice. You, you know what I mean. Yeah, post-future. Yeah. I, yeah, absolutely. I like that. So, yeah, Space Marines is the one at the top of my list. What's the top of yours? Uh, for me, I am that very classic, uh, like, kind of gritty realism, sandbox, low fantasy setting um, to identify with that a bit better. Uh, the low fantasy part, I've always been interested in, um, but it's kind of hard to achieve. Essentially, it's like early Game of Thrones. Later Game of Thrones definitely gets more magic-y, but in early Game of Thrones, you get w- magic is seen, but it's very whispered about. Mm-hmm. It's very uncommon, and it is treated with like a heavy mysticism. It's like it's basically like the first Star Wars. Okay. And I really like that because it makes it makes things beyond the norm. It's insanely engaging and makes the norm actually more engaging because that's everyone's bread and butter to live by. Right. Um, but it's very hard to do that in a lot of fantasy game systems because, you know, they're going to put magic in. And you can't just assume that no player wants to play magic. And if they play it, they treat it casual. So there's a lot of um, roadblocks. I think for that, if you're looking for something that's way more low magic, um, are you looking to stick into the same Arthurian style fantasy world or Tolkien fantasy, Middle Earth fantasy, or does it really matter? Um I when it comes to the Tolkien style fantasy, I that is like a lot of inspiration for people. And I especially love that too. Because when you see Gandalf, Gandalf early on is like the major magic user that uses common magic. He's viewed as a powerful person that's like well to do in charge and the person to look to. Because the rest are just kind of normal dudes who are just fighting physically, maybe with a little magic enhancement from something. It's funny that you put that in there because, um, A, I think the most badass, best wizard ever is Merlin. Like, he's at the top of the list. Um, So when I look at Gandalf, you're right. Everybody's in the story. It's like, damn, Gandalf's the man. I'm like, it's kind of a letdown. It's kind of like... I'm sorry, but my mm-hmm. my desire for his abilities and powers is like tenth level, and he's like third. Well, in the movies, the way they talk about it, you really can't grasp the perspective at all. I mean, what it, what is it? Uh, the shadow demon thing, whatever. When they go to face it, they're basically the equivalent being if you actually look at the lore. 
but like when they fight, you don't get that feeling at all. Right. It's very strange. It is. Uh, but I have to. I, the reason I asked about the uh, essentially the setting because. <clears throat> You can take your desire to play low fantasy and gritty realism just about anywhere. But if you're looking to play those things in Middle Earth, or if you're looking to play those things in something closer to 1980s, um, <clears throat> kind of determines what game system you might be interested in. Mm. And I say that because uh, Tales from the Loop or Kids on Bikes would both be decent systems for you to look into. See, I don't mind. I don't mind going modern. That's actually totally fine to me. Um, but with that, I also need to put on the caveat that just because you rename magic into technology doesn't mean you turned it into a low fantasy setting. I think a lot of people confuse that. I, in the same way, would not be interested in playing in a setting where someone's like a technomancer and they can just do whatever they want with tech. It's You're just accomplishing the same feat, you just renamed it. Mm -hmm. So I need settings where like there's limitation that I can be creative in. Where, versus magic, where it's more of like it's approached... Where you just have every tool on your belt, and you go, okay, right. I pick that tool, and I right. and I succeed. Right, and that's something we get. Like everybody gets tired of. Well, they're just going to wave their hand at this anyway. So why am I going to even include some of this stuff? It's frustrating. Um, <clears throat> I think that also comes back down to the fact that as a DM, you have the absolute one hundred percent authority to say, yeah, bro, that doesn't work right now. Like something's stopping that from going down. <laughs> yeah, and and you know you can call it railroading and shit like that, but. In reality, you need to realize that if you're trying to run a good time for your players, you need to be able to include them all. And mm -hmm. I'm sorry, but if you have a wizard who's like, I'm going all utility, I don't. I go one attack spell and the rest can solve every situation. Well, I mean, you're, that, that setup is beginning to disinclude the rest of the players. It is. And I would like everybody on the, on the listening end of this to know that when you say that they have one attack spell and everything else is utility, uh, what you're really talking about is fireball. Because that's both. Yep. That's all you need. You just need fireball. In fact, as a as a magic user at all, if you have anything but fireball, you're really not embracing the magic. Yep. I totally agree with you because I don't... <laughs> when people come up with magic users, a lot of them like to be a focused kind of magic user, and then they just don't follow through on it. Yeah, they use fireball. <laughs> um, for example, I like to encourage my players to follow a style. Either you're an evoker, you're a maker, or you're a seeker. And you should pick your magic accordingly. If you're an evoker, you're like a heavy combat mage. You're focused on combat. You let your allies handle the other stuff. So this is where someone builds a character and they go, well, I give feats and abilities to them that make their damage a little better. They have mostly attack spells. Obviously, you can be a little flexible, but they definitely have shield. And they definitely have spells that can enhance their combat. Um, that one I get more consistently because there's a lot of combat in the TTRPGs I play. But you'll never see a player who's like, I'm an ice mage, and they still pick fireball. That's right, because it's 66 damage. <laughs> oh, God. oh, you're just making me stressed out with that. And I then, hate and then, it. And then you're going to maximize it, and then you're going to enlarge it. <laughs> no. So, Andrew, the ice, the, the fireball the, I, the mage of Icewind Dale. Uh, of the cold north goes mm, fireball I was like what <laughs> it is the way it is man you, um, I, I have a funny so I got a funny stance on this and this is actually kind of funny to, to kind of close out on because I'm not going to give a whole lot of details when I create a caster if I can save on my own spell DCs with relative ease I'm ineffective yeah that's a decent point yeah so when I make a caster the spell DCs have to be harder even for me to attain. If I fail my own saves and more often than I pass them, I'm doing well. Yeah, I, most casters don't like accidentally set themselves up for failure failure unless they're like that's their unless like that's their later level that that's their support thing. Well, most major <clears throat> casters put their big stat into their spell casting to make those DCs harder. I see now this is this is where it's going to show the difference between your 5e experience and earlier editions experience. Okay. So you can take I said I want to go into this. Take feats. Uh, feats are a lot more limited in 5th edition I've realized. Yep. When you get them, how often they they show up and the abilities that they grant you. So you'd have to look for things that increase your spell save DC or caster level. Uh, yeah, you don't really have a whole lot of good control over that. Right. So this is this is the fifth edition. So in very earlier editions, three five Pathfinder, 
uh, one and two, you can do things to make your DCs higher. So for example, I love being an illusionist. And so I would specialize in illusion skills. So I would pick a domain for illusion, which increased my caster level by two. And then I would pick a feat that increased my DC for my chosen caster level domain by two. So now I'm casting more powerfully and I'm casting at a higher DC level. And then if it's a specific spell in my school, cast that will be higher DC and then if, <laughs> if I had so all of my character build would literally be nothing but upping my spell DCs <clears throat> with two metamagic feats see I, I'm like I'm good with that and I do think that is like a fun approach sadly in fifth edition if you want characters like that let's say you start at like fourth or fifth level to be generous you kind of have to suicide your character into it and even then, it doesn't feel strong. It mm. it just passes. And that's and that's what I've noticed uh, since I'd say two years after its release is that the streamlined version of Fifth Edition um, lacks a lot of the customizability that people are looking for as they've played for an extended amount of time. Yeah, they just release things that are more powerful instead of like more varied. Right, and even more powerful is acceptable, but they're not they did not lay a structure down for customizability yeah and that is like the strong problem with it um that's why i'm not a huge fan of tasha's cauldron of everything it's a book that released in the last year um a lot of the class options it's just like why wouldn't i take this class option over literally every other one this one does more damage it has more capabilities and all of its abilities also expand into rp play like i could just list assassin on the rogue like i mentioned earlier you get basically an auto crit early. That's the major feature. So you only get to use it once a combat versus someone else where they're like, yeah, I, I force auto sneak attack to trigger with an ability as a bonus action and I can do it whenever I want. So it's just, yeah, it, mm -hmm. it's not varied. It's just, it's more powerful. And therefore you did not expand the options. You kept them the same. Like, literally the same. Yep, yep, I get it. But <clears throat> were there other game styles uh, that you wanted to check out? Um, Settings? Yeah, they're, but they're more... It's This is me chasing the fetish. It's sandbox and realism games. Sandbox, but many of you DMs will groan out there. It's such a terrible idea to try and run sandbox games when you're not prepared for it and you don't have the time for it. Because your players will be excited because they're like, I get to play Skyrim. And you're and you're as a DM, you're like, yeah, let me run that world for you, and then they decide to go where they want, and you don't have it prepared. <laughs> we'll talk about that in the world building episode because I got a few big, big things that will help create that world for any DM. Uh, the last one would be gritty realism. Mm -hmm. That's this one's a huge gray zone one because let me represent it easily. Uh, let's say I want to craft an arrow. Okay, I can role play crafting the arrow. I can roll a few checks for multiple degrees of like, oh, it's quality, it's build, what materials I use, uh, versus I just roll a single check with my fletching kit. So gritty realism would dictate that my RP one would be better. Uh, in reality, I technically wasted more time. It's a huge gray zone to declare what you like as yeah. gritty realism. Yeah, when I consider gritty realism, I'm going to give an, an example of gritty realism that I did not like, and I'll try to give you a gritty example that I did like. So I was playing Mutants and Masterminds which is a mm. comic book superhero style game. That's the year zero <laughs> system, right? Something like that? I don't remember. I, actually, I, know I actually do think that's what it's called. I do know that it's by Green Ronin Publishing and most of their system is pretty similar across all their games. Alien RPG uses that. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, the DM wanted to play something more realistic, which is fine, mm -hmm. but we're playing in a comic book superhero style world. All right, so literally, bad guys do not die like in the rules bad guys do not die oh okay we're, we're heroes even at zero hit points they do not die like you can't kill them or they're or the dm's supposed to run to not kill them uh no when they drop to zero they are unconscious mm -hmm. the, the, there is no push to death so can you go up and like execute them can you finish them off uh dm's discretion but not by rules uh, it's like the a -team. okay it's like the a team bro okay yeah yeah that's what i mean where i can't what is okay where is gritty realism defined okay hold on so he wanted to play a more realistic game mm -hmm. cool i'm on board with it well i played a character who could control gravity 
not a big deal. Something came in. I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'll just reduce gravity all the way. In fact, I will negatively reduce gravity so they're flung up. Woo! You know, I, I, I took a flaw where I could never do anything like not at full power. And, well, I like to max out all my shit, because why not? Right. So, essentially, I flung this guy into outer space. And my DM's like, bro, he's dead. I'm like, he's not dead. It says in the rules he's not dead. He's unconscious. <laughs> he eventually <laughs> comes back to Earth. Like, that's how this works. Rob, you're out of my game. Go home. <laughs> God, jeez. <laughs> oh, like, my god. He, he was really upset. He was like, no. it's it, it, Realistically, it's going to kill him. Like, realistically, we're in a superhero setting where he's not going to die. In reality, he floated into space. You don't know what happened to him as soon as he disappears from the scene. <laughs> he's he's going to come back down. We're going to be fine. If we don't see his heart stuff, he's not dead. <laughs> So, I don't. I don't like the gritty realism because it it argued with the system, and I made the mistake of arguing with the DM because my point was, you are playing in a world that this system actively opposes. Yeah, and uh, it made it hard because everybody's like, everybody at the table is like, nah, he wouldn't die. He's just he's gonna hit ground and get up eventually because that's what characters in this type of world do. Um, so I was like, damn. Anyway, um, the table prevailed, and the DM was like, fine, fuck it. Yeah, so that's the example of, like, how a gritty realism does not, mm -hmm. like, function. Yeah, yeah. And the one I really liked was in in the setting we were in, we were, I mentioned kind of, I've done something similar. We were all bogged down with other shit. We were actually exhausted from the game. It was a mentally exhausting game. Mm -hmm. uh, and... I don't think that was intentional, but the next combat they came up ended up being way more um, life-threatening than normal. And with that one, one of our character I think it was my character, ended up casting a spell, getting lucky, and the big bad guy failed on a save. Mm -hmm. And it saved the day in the first round. Okay, so you just killed him in the first round? No, there was no death that day. You're like, oh shit. So in earlier editions, again, 3-5, when I played this particular caster, uh, there was a spell. Um, the spell was called Solopsum, Solopsism. And it, it on a failed save, the affected creature believed absolutely nothing but he was real in reality. What? He was the only real thing and would not respond to aggression or attacks or other external elements because they simply were not real. So you get, you inflicted him with like existential dread? Is that what you did? <laughs> it, did that's the way you to put essentially it. made him take mushrooms just nonstop all the time? That's essentially how <laughs> there was no there was no duration um, well, casting time was one round, and there was no... I think it was one round, because I had it prepared. But there was no end duration. It was a permanent effect. Okay. So this character would not eat. He would not... He would just literally exist as though he is the only thing that's real. Nothing else was actually real. It was an illusion, an elaborate... Thing. It was him in the Matrix, and he knew it was the Matrix. Okay, so what is the what is the ultimate consequence of that action occurring? Like, what happened to him? Um, I don't remember what happened to him because we were able to GTFO before, like, you know, bad guy number two came through because I, we, he wasn't supposed to fail bad guy number one. He wasn't supposed to fail that save. Right. Um, so I don't remember what happened to him, but it turned out degree realism was ended up in our favor because the way the spell was worded and how it affected the bad guy allowed us to actually have a few minutes of downtime to tone it all down, recoup from our previously mental exhausted state, and determine if we were going to just flee or try to get through bad guy number two, which was thrown in there because we destroyed bad guy number one. We were actually delegating in-game not long, but out of game it was long enough that it used up in-game time. And that's, the, that's how I like the gritty realism aspect. Mm -hmm. I like when you look at things like, all right, you guys are taking 20 minutes to discuss something, the game isn't paused. Like, time yeah. is still moving. Uh, that's the gritty realism that I like. <clears throat> so, okay. that, um, that is the 
I think, yeah. I think I want to mention the aspect that I like to, and I mentioned it a little earlier. Uh, a, a tactic that I use is I will try to exhaust my character, my players a little bit, so things feel more dreaded when they get to them. Yeah, that's actually not that hard to accomplish. A lot of DMs seem to think that like that it's too hard to reach the point where like players are actually pushed. Not that you should harass them emotionally, but like simple things like make your creature hit hard. It's it's not difficult. If your creature mm -hmm. hits hard, you will freak players out. They will feel increased tension. Mm -hmm. Not that you should sprint your bad guy up to all your backliners, <clears throat> but hey, have them have some dogs that poison you or put mm -hmm. you in the poison condition. Oh, yeah. Players will get nervous and feel threatened. Yeah. And the tactics that I, I will sometimes use, I don't do it all the time. Uh, this makes it sound like a bad TM. But like if I got a party that likes uh, really heavy combat, mm -hmm. I will totally exhaust them for a few sessions without combat. What? Uh-huh. Why? Because think about it. You're like, God, when are we going to fight something? You're a little irritated. You're frustrated. Right? <laughs> But I'm serious, when you finally get to that combat, now you're incredibly engaged, you're super excited, you're gonna do whatever you can to kick ass, so when you fail a roll, it is direly tormented. And it doesn't matter if that character is incredibly weak or incredibly powerful. With that one, I will definitely sit on the opposite side of the fence from you. I would, if I was to use that as a tactic, I would maybe do it for one session. Because, I'm sorry, as a player, that sounds like absolute dog shit. Because even if the even if you do that combat, like I imagine that like it's almost there's no way for it to be satisfying enough that you had to wait multiple game sessions. So I, I get it. It's it's there's there's a long term game aspect to it. Oh. I don't I don't just do this randomly. I tell people kind of what's gonna go on, and so they are knowing they're prepared for it. Bring one of your players on here. I dare you. I yeah, dare you. Any one of them. Yeah, no, I just, I don't think I would do that tactic just because, like, I wouldn't want to risk, like, the player's enjoyment for that, but I can see it working. Well, again, I mean, you, they still have to be, ex they have to be okay with that, like, hey, we're not going to have a combat for a little while, um, and you can tell that, it's, that they're starting to exhaust with just the role play. Um, and that's, I don't look for that, but that's, that's when I know, I'm like, hey, when they start to get to this point, then we're throwing it in there, and it just increases the chance, because when somebody is actively engaged it's incredible, but when the player feels the character, then they're on a different level, and it's a way to reinvest them differently. I can kind of see that. Am I presenting this the best right now? No. No, it sounds horrible. It does absolutely. I'm like, God, Rob sounds like a horrible DM. But the fact the fact is, is that when it's used, in fact, it's probably used on most players. They don't even realize it. Um, actually, yeah, I can see that. So, oh, technically, one of my friends just did that recently, and you probably didn't even know it. Well, he no, I wasn't playing in this game, okay. but he told me about it. Basically, four to five sessions of roleplay, players enjoy it, but like they still want combat. Right. Combat came, and it turned into a crazy fight, so that eh, actually... Mm. Right. The game still has to be fun, and the way I present it makes it sound like the game's not fun up until fighting, but the game is still enjoyable. Rob's uh, backup goal is always to harm the players as often as possible emotionally. So that way that victory just tastes so sweet. <laughs> no, don't say that. That's not the case. I want to make sure everybody has fun. I put attack in every player's seat at the start of the session so they can know what suffering really is. So if they take a sword swipe, they know what pain is like. You know what? That would be absolutely horrible. And Don't I'm, you dare say but. If you say but, I'll throw something. I am sure that they would... Uh, they decide to fall on their sword at that point. Oh my god. But let's end it here. Alright, we'll talk about everything else. We'll actually get to the list of shit we wanted to talk about eventually. <laughs> <laughs> so, alright guys, check us out on Facebook at Epic Table Games or go to the website epictablegames.com Thank you for listening to the Epic Table Games audio show with the Paladins of Podcasts, Rob and Josh. Until next time, stay in touch on Facebook at Epic Table Games and online at epictablegames.com. Epic Table Games.